the title of my message is an outrageous act of worship. Um, but I'll get into reading. Um, I'll start off with reading the scripture for um, this morning. Do you have it up, Tash? Did you get it? Sweet. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of anointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the anointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debts for both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he cancelled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with anointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But to the one whom little is forgiven, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. But those who were around at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, oh, sorry. This, um, so I remember, I think it was just over a month ago, I got an email from, I think it was Debbie or like the Cornerstone thing saying, hey, James, we'd love you to preach on this day. And I was like, oh, cool. Like I've never preached on Sunday morning before. That's pretty cool. Like I guess that will be exciting. And then immediately followed by like nervous. I'm like, maybe people don't like me. I'm going to be so much more strict here because you guys know your Bible. Um, youth don't. So I'm like, chilling half the time. Like, you know, I can just read the Bible and I'm all good. Um, but yeah, it was followed by a little bit of nerves. Then I scrolled down further and was like, we'd like you to preach on judgment. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, I, I found it like the most vague and broad term, like preach on judgment. I was like, you mean God's judgment of us, judgment of other people, like judgment of a situation. So like I went into the office and I was talking to Tara. I was like, what do you, what do you mean? And like she tried to explain it further and you do that thing where you act like you understand, otherwise you feel like you're stupid. Like you, can anyone testify to those moments? That, that was me. And I was like, oh yeah, I, I get it. Like, don't you worry, man. I, re, I regret it. So like, I think Sam or uh, Jared or Tara said it like like every good uh, preacher does when they're stuck. They go to Google. But I was like, I'm original. I don't go to Google. I went to YouTube. Um, so I hit up YouTube and I type, I was like, oh, I'm speaking on judgment. So I just typed in Christian judgment on YouTube. Don't do that, please. Let me save you like some minutes of your life. Please never search Christian judgment on YouTube. I was absolutely scared for my, for my safety. Um, so I shouldn't have brought that up, maybe. Um, but that's all good. But um, when I was stuck, um, I was like sort of vague about it. Then I went and I found one good video. And it was just like a TV ad. Um, and this is what I thought of Judgment at first. And I was a bit stuck. So Tash, if you have that other video, this is what I thought I was sort of going to be talking about. Don't worry, I'm not talking about this. But Yeah, yeah. 
And I was like, how, how on earth am I going to preach on this? Like, this, this is just weird. But it was really funny. And I was like, I, would, I won't act like I just, I just wanted to play it for the humor effect. It was actually very funny. Um, and there was a lot more of them, but some of them are very questionable. Um, so then I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to hit the scriptures, the good old place to find most things in life. Um, and I came to this story, um, and I think I was talking to Jared or someone um, about judgment. And this story in Luke that I just read... Um, has always stuck out to me for some reason. Like most gospel stories, like all, all of the gospel is great, but for some reason, ever since I became a Christian, like I heard this two months in, and it's always like resonated with me. It's always stuck with me. Um, so I came to this and I was like, maybe maybe this is a good day to, to preach on it. Um, so I read it and I was like, okay, like I feel this is good. Um, and the amazing thing about this story, and I'm going to try and let Jesus um, just this story preach itself um, because it's got... It's full of so much drama. It's full of so much suspense. And sometimes when we don't have all the context and the history of what's going on, it can just be a bit like, oh, Jesus loves a sinner. That's great. Um, but there's so much more drama and so much more suspense. So if I have a goal for this morning, it would be just for this story to preach itself, for you to immerse yourself in the story um, and be taken on this journey with me. So I'm going to pray into this and we're going to start. And I'm absolutely excited about what this story is going to speak Yes, God, we just come before you this morning, thankful for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the revelation and for the sacrifice that we get to thank you for each and every day, God. I pray as I speak this morning that it would be not my words, but yours, Father. That as I speak about judgment, God, that judgment would fall and your love, Jesus, would rise in this place. I pray that my heart would be set on you and all our hearts would be set on you, Jesus. And that this morning we would leave with a greater revelation of who you are and what you're doing in this world. In the most amazing, powerful name that is Jesus, amen. All right. So, I'm going to read through this again slowly, like, not slowly, I mean like part by part. And so I'm going to unpack it a little bit. So, get ready for this. This is, this is fun. Um, and if it's not fun, then I might just be a bit of a nerd, but that's okay. Um, so I'm going to read verse 36 and 37. So if you want to, Tash, you might just leave the verses up there. The title, yeah. So if you want to leave Luke open, we're going to be into it the whole time. So it says, One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city, who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of anointment. So first of all, something that's pretty cool is most Pharisees, they hate Jesus. Um, you know, understandable. Um, he was a bit of an odd guy to what they were trying to do. Um, so this is, Simon's an interesting guy because he's invited Jesus into his home not to, you know, like trick him or anything, but he's come to find out who Jesus is. He's given Jesus a bit of a chance. Um, and, it's, and Simon really has no problem because it's like, if Jesus truly is a prophet or, goodness forbid, the Messiah, it's like, that's great. We can form an alliance and like, we, like he'll be on our side. But if he's not, if he's just a fake and a fraud, then it's like, well, just kill him. Like, Either way, it's fine. Like, there's no really, no, like, repercussions. And then, like, enter the wild card, and it's like a sinful woman learned that Jesus would be eating at the house and brought uh, this expensive anointment. And this woman is intriguing because Luke gives her no name. Um, gives her no name at all. All she was known by, and, like, if you go into commentaries and stuff like that, is she's often referred to as the worst sinner in all of the town. Now, I'd hate to be known as that. Like, personally, I'd be hate to be known as that. No one knows your name. They're just like, there's that person. Like, there's the thief. There's the, what are other sins? Help me out. 
Um, adulterer, the murderer. Yeah, that's a good one. Don't murder. Um, yeah. um, and so, and it, this woman, I, I texted Tara to make sure I could say this because uh, terminology is weird. Um, but this woman was a promiscuous woman or in, in the proper term, she was a prostitute. Okay? I don't know why I feel weird saying it. I just do. Um, and so the thing with this anointment is this anointment is expensive. Like this is, uh, David, is David Beckham expensive perfume or cologne? Sam, help me out. You know your stuff. Uh, this is like expensive stuff. This is like expensive stuff. So it's questionable why this woman has it. And it would either have been that with the money that she used in her, um, I guess I'll call it her trade or her line of work, um, she afforded it with that or it was either a gift from a client. So this is um, great, I guess. Um, but this woman, like Jesus was invited in. Let's not say that. Simon's inviting Jesus in. This woman she has, she's like, no, no, no. Like, I don't have to be invited in. I'm just coming in because Jesus is there. And it's like, can you imagine that? You, you know, your doors are open at home. You're like, Jesus, come in, have, have a feed. And then just some random woman walks in and is like, just crowding, crowding your style. I don't know. Uh, it would just be fairly weird for me. Um, so, you know, Simon's thoughts probably would have been like, oh, fine. She can just stay in the corner. Just get her out of the way. Um, but then, like, it gets worse for Simon. And I feel so sorry for Simon. Like, she stood behind him at his feet weeping and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with anointment. Um, women like this in this profession don't cry. Like, I can't, and this is where, like, we need to get involved in the story. Like, for her to start crying would have been that thing where, like, people would have got real uncomfortable, like, have you ever been in the situation where it's just like, I don't know, like everything's fine and then someone just starts crying and it's like, what do we do? Like, do I pat you on the back? Do I hug you or, you know, give you tissues? I don't really know. So it would have sort of been like that. It would have just been like, especially for a woman like that, they don't cry, especially in front of men. So this is like, oh, okay, this is not great at all. And then after that, um, she, she dried the tears with her hair. Uh-uh, no. No, 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 no. Um, I don't know how to explain this in a way where it's um, good um, in front of children, but it's like <laughs> um, women letting their hair down in this day and age is like not okay. This is like a sign of like if a girl came up to Jesus with like a high pin skirt or something, that's the sort of like sexual connotations that is being bring with like her letting her hair down. So like suddenly went to them crying. She's like, they're like, Ugh, to her letting her hair down. They're like, Ugh, like what is going on here? Like they are, Simon would be stressing. Don't know about the other crew. They might be all right, but I doubt it. Um, and then this is where the topic for judgment ignited. I was like, I can understand um, what is going on. Oh, wait, no, I need to read verse 39. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going too fast. Verse 39 says, Now when the Pharisee who invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. You don't even have to be a prophet to know what sort of this woman this is. Most of the people in the town would have just known who this woman is. So, like, the statement is sort of, if at least he was a prophet, he would know this for sure. Like, there's no doubt. Um, and this thought, like, it, it's normal. Like, so, like, we often try to distance ourselves from Pharisees, but it's a logical thought, you know? Like, it's a completely logical thought what Simon's going. And I can relate to it. And this is where the idea of judgment and, like, the preaching sort of ignited for me because I was 
started listening to this chapter of a book in preparation and this author described uh, this moment where he was, he was, his wife was shopping and he was just sitting on this bench. Um, and as he was waiting for his wife to finish her shopping, um, he just observed people as they walked past. And he, and he just was like, oh, ugh, oh. And like he had such th- thoughts as, learn how to parent. You're really wearing that? Do you really need that? And in a moment of self-awareness, he noticed the injustice that was going on in his own mind. Um, and he was devaluing others and their value and their identity. And he was maximizing his own. And let me get this across that I don't think personally he was like, I'm going to devalue these people and lift myself up. But the cost of judgment is often that we see people as less than what they were created in and we lift ourselves up. And if you're all about the kingdom, if you're all about God, which I am, this is all one big family. There is no greater or less than. The only one greater is Jesus. And what a great picture of a Savior who came and didn't have his feet washed, but he was the washer of feet. Um, so as, we, as he continues in this thing, he, he started to think in his mind, um, is it really a sin? Like, is judgment in your mind really a sin? Because you're not vocalizing, you're not hurting anyone, right? Like, what's the big deal? It's just a thought that is going through your head. Um, and that's where it became scary for him because he thought, how scary of a sin that we downplay its significance and we don't think it's a big deal. Because how can we address something that's in your mind? That, like, I can't. I, like, Leanne could be thinking, man, like, will he stop rambling and put the mic down already? Like, I can't address that judgment in her mind because, like, I can't see into it. Um, and this is where, like, everything started opening for me because I was like, wow, I do this a lot. Like, a lot. I can testify to this. Like, um, for me, you know, I'm a lover of basketball in great ways. Um, probably, like, idolatrous ways. I don't know. Like, I take basketball way too seriously. I'm working on it. But work with me. Um, it was like when someone doesn't make a shot or something that they should have, I'm just screaming. I'm like, how did you not make that? Idiot. Like, you know, like, see, I get way too angry. I'll move on. Uh, and there's, there's ones that was like, what are you doing? You're just embarrassing yourself. Pull yourself together, man. And then like one last year, which I really struggled with, was like, is that really your theology? Like, ugh, like, and these, these are mine that I struggle with um, and uh, like are dealing with. So often in life, there are those moments where we just judge, judge, judge. Like we just look at people and we separate ourselves from them. The word judgment, the word judge in Greek is krino, which means to criticize, to divide, to separate. Not words you want to hear when you're trying to build a kingdom. Um, So as we relate with this story, I can understand what's going on in Simon's head. Because Simon's agenda is the same thing as us. It's all about the kingdom for him and how he thinks he's going to accomplish it is just one day of perfect righteousness, one day of goodness. And the problem with this is that if you're trying to achieve perfection and there's a woman like this in your home who's known as the greatest sinner in all of the city, what's the problem that we're facing? That this woman isn't a part of the picture we're trying to build for the future. So this is where the, the, this builds suspense. It's like, why is this woman here? This is a prophet who should be proclaiming the good things of God in the future Yet the greatest sinner of all the town is here crying at his feet. And can he not realize this woman is a sinner? Um, and it continues and... Um, ooh, let me um, find where I'm going. 
Um, and the amazing thing is Jesus' response, because Jesus could have just snapped and be like, don't judge me. Like, just something like real. But Jesus answers in a beautiful way. Like, I really love Jesus sometimes. Actually, all the, t- all the time. Check this. I'm sorry. Um, so I'll read, I'll read verse 40 to 30. It says, Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled debts for both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose one for whom he cancelled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. And like, I love this because I imagine Jesus would have had like the sort of funny like smile on his face when he said that. Because like, you're exactly right. Um, And I don't know if he's addressing the situation right before them in the people, but um, how right that the people who need much love, who need much forgiveness, are going to be so desperate for that love. And when there's a Messiah that's walking around proclaiming the goodness for the brokenhearted, for the sinners, for those who have not experienced love, it's going to cause you to barge in some doors that you're not invited into and uncontrollably weep at the feet of someone who's talking about such great things. Um, and it's, I know it's, it's so exciting. Um, sorry. Um, <laughs> um, and this woman... She wasn't afraid. And I think that's like, in her day and age, to be around those men, the religious leaders, would have been a scary thing. Um, it really would have. So for her to have the courage to come into a room full of men, there might have been other women around, but like, and especially with her knowing they know who she is. And to do what she did takes courage far beyond what I've ever experienced myself. Like, absolutely phenomenal. Um, and she entered in this house unin- uninvited and she celebrated him. It had no thing of she came so she could be forgiven or so she could receive something. She heard of this great Messiah, this great um, teacher walking around proclaiming good things and she wanted to celebrate this unique love. Um, and I'll read uh, 44 to 66 and it says, then turning around, then turning to the woman he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with anointment. Therefore, oh, no, I'll stop there. I'll stop there. Let's, let's just explain this, right? So the woman comes in with the anointment, ready to, um, to celebrate, to pour it out on Jesus, you know, to... Um, gift him. But the problem is, um, and this is where it comes in, one of Simon's servants, or Simon even him, I doubt Simon ever would have done it, but someone needed to wash his feet. Uh, that was custom. Like, you just, you just do that. So when th- this woman comes up, expected uh, to pour this out on Jesus, but his feet haven't been cleaned. Like, this would have been outrageous to her. This is like where an outrageous act of worship meets an outrageous act of unhospitality? Inhospitality? Yeah. Exactly. Um, and this is like, this would be a conflicting moment. I imagine the guests would have been like, sort of like biting their fingernails, like what's happening? This is like the worst thing I've ever been in my life. Um, but what happens is the woman, she's overwhelmed. She starts to cry. And like as each tear rolls off her face, it carries a piece of the dirt that's on Jesus' feet off. And it's a beautiful moment where it's like, the social structures that say this woman shouldn't be doing this, who shouldn't cry, who shouldn't let her hair down in the kingdom when you're met with such a great love. Social structures can't stand up against that sort of love. Nothing can. And we're a part of that world. We're a part of ushering in the sort of love 
where it's like there is no fear to come down here. There is no fear to be a part of love's feast because nothing can overcome it. We get to those moments and I imagine this woman, like when all you've ever been used for is that in what her profession, when you're broken, when you felt so unloved, so lost, when you see a hope that is Jesus, you can't contain it. And man, like even though this woman, she's a prostitute, I so much want to love Jesus like she loves Jesus. Like, it's incredible. Like, it brings tears to my eyes when I read this story sometimes just because, like, this is incredible. Like, really incredible. Um, and even the face of such severe judgment, and this is why I think this story is incredible and unique, is that she still worshipped. Those moments of, oh, I don't know if I want to put up my hand. I don't know if I go to the front. I don't know if I want to talk to that person because I might be judged. This was like, this, could, this was the worst sort of judgment you could face. And it didn't matter. It did not matter to her. And I think we can be so confident that if we get this love for Jesus that this woman has, we will not be fearful to love our enemies. We will not be fearful to love the stranger. Because all the power of Christians, the power of us, looks like crying at Jesus' feet. People won't understand that. Sometimes I don't understand that. Like, really, I don't. Like, there was one moment in Bible college last year, and it was the weirdest moment ever. Like, we, they had some guest students come in, and my Bible college lecturer was talking about it. He's like, oh, what happens if you're in war and someone's shooting at you? Like, you'll die. And he's like, yeah, like, you will die. And it was like this weird moment. I was like, really? Like, I thought there was, like, always good things planned. And it's like, we, that's where judgment is like, I'm not worth more than anyone else. I'm not higher than anybody else. I love, I love two quotes, and I'll read them right now. Gregory Boyd says, At the very least, the kingdom is about agreeing with God on what all people are worth. All people. There is no us and them. There's no, there is none of that. Bonhoeffer says this, A man cannot raise himself above any other man or set himself before him as a model, for he knows himself to be the greatest of all sinners. He can excuse the sin of another, but never his own. This, this is the love's face. This is, this is God's kingdom. This is the table that if you're going to invite Jesus in, these are the people that are going to come because they so need it. And sometimes we don't understand it. We're like, hey, like, I live this life. I've been a Christian all these years, but it's like, it doesn't matter. Like for them, they just see this love. They felt so unloved. They felt so broken and nothing will hold them back. And I want to be a part of a community. I want to be a part of a world where we, we celebrate and we push and we love those people into those moments where we don't create structures or boundaries for them to have to jump over. God's table isn't exclusive. It doesn't always look pretty. It looks like Jesus sitting there and people uncontrollably crying at his feet. Like Saturday night, like it, you, most conferences, like it, the result I would think of like a great result is everyone's just putting their hands up. But the result we received was kids were just crying and hugging each other and talking about how broken they were. Like, ah, oh, I'm going to get too emotional. Um, ben, could you come up? That would be great. Um, give me a minute to recuperate.
Anyone can be a part of this. I love, I love that we have a God that isn't in the clouds, but He came down as a man and He associated with fishermen. He dined with tax collectors. I, he, he went to the lepers. Like He went to the people who most needed love. When the world or the filthy rotten systems or whatever you want to call them put up things and say, you're not a part of this, Jesus went out to them. That's the sort of God we have. That's the sort of God we need to follow again. We're in a world where today, this week there was a massacre and 59 people died. And five, over 500 were injured. I don't, we don't need a world right now that says I'm pro this or against that. I don't, we don't need a world that says I'm voting for this or I'm not voting for that. We need a world that looks like this love. And this is what I'm about. This is what my, what, not my Jesus, our Jesus is about. It's not about these things. It's about a love of something so much more, of the most broken people, no matter what community you're a part of. You can come to Jesus' feet and cry. And that's the beauty of this gospel, is that there is nothing we can do to deserve this. And sometimes we forget that. And that's okay, but we must always recognize that we don't deserve to cry at Jesus' feet. And how funny is that? That sounds like such a degrading term when you say, I'm not worthy to cry at someone's feet. But this woman, her hair, their hair in those days were the most like, beautiful part, of the most like, extravagant part of their body. Um, and the, the human feet were like the most disgusting. She used her hair to clean his feet. That's the sort of God that we have, that we must use the most beautiful parts of us to serve sometimes the most dirtiest parts of society. Like, you're going to struggle sometimes. Christianity isn't about, like, there's not going to be a flick one day and you see people and it's like, oh, it's easy to love them. That's why there's community. We can do it together. We can love together. That's the beauty of this. And as I read verse 47 to 50, it says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence she has shown great love. But to the one whom little is forgiven, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. If you want to stand this morning, church. This morning there's an opportunity to come before a God who is a forgiver of all. There is a chance to become a part of the God who isn't a part of building social structures to keep them out, but is all about bringing them down so that all may enter and all may be a part of this. This morning you may relate with Simon, you may relate with the woman, maybe you even relate with both. Or maybe you don't relate with any at all. But we look to Calvary this morning, the Savior hanging on the cross, and we come and we agree that everyone has unsurpassable worth in Jesus. And as we come into a time of worship, I want to encourage you that if, if, you, need a, if you need a cry, if you need to come to the front and receive prayer, if you feel like you need someone to stand with you, and help you and pray with you, then this is the time to do it. 
we're stronger together. We are strong with God. So I want to give you this space and this time that if you want to come to the front, I would love to pray with you. The team would love to pray with you. And I'm just going to pray. We thank you, Jesus, for your radical love. We thank you for your kingdom that welcomes all people, that there are no shut gates, but only open arms, Father. We want to be a part of living your kingdom right here and right now, God. Let your kingdom be in this place. Let us experience all the good things that are certain in your future. We come before you, Father, and we say, forgive us for all that we have done wrong and help us to be more like your son, Jesus. Church, we have come as we are, but by his grace we are sent out not the same. For in this place, the spirit that anointed Christ has been poured out on us. He's exchanged a crown of beauty for our ashes, the oil of joy for our sorrow, a garment of praise for our spirit of despair. He has spoken over us a new name, oaks of integrity, and prophesied we will grow into a canopy of his beauty to bless and rebuild the city in his unfailing, nonviolent love. So go. Broadcast good news for the poor. Bind up the brokenhearted. Prophesy freedom for the captives. Let the blind see. Set free the oppressed, live jubilee, and forgive, blessing our enemies, because Christ has shut the book on vengeance. Go now in His liberating grace that pardons and empowers sinners like us to participate in God's kingdom of mercy. And all, and all of God's people said, Amen.